Thank you. Uh, wow, no pressure at all. I got a flight to catch and computers to buy, so um, we'll see how well we do this. But no, we, we do want to start off by saying a big thank you to the house. Uh, Anna's right over there. So, hi, that's Anna. Um, you guys have been faithfully supporting us for a number of years now, and we just we love coming here. We love coming to this community. When, when we're in Canada, we're not here often, and just knowing that you're standing with us, and you know, some of you, you may not even realize that when you're giving money to missions that there's a face and a family attached to it, but we are the, I'm the face, unfortunately, and that's the family. Um, our girls are here too, and uh, they're upstairs enjoying the uh, children's church. So thank you. Honestly, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you for continually supporting, not just us, but other missional, global working endeavors that you, that you do, both from people within this church. I know you guys support people who've come out of this church and stuff happening in Kelowna, and keep doing that. Keep doing that. It, it really matters. Um, a couple things that you can take home on, you know, when you leave, besides a good coffee. We have a prayer card at the info desk. You can put that up on your fridge or your bathroom, wherever it is that you pray. And uh, just remember to pray for us every once in a while. And then if you're interested in maybe understanding a little bit more about missions and you've kind of felt this pull and this tug in your heart to go on missions and you just don't know what the next step is, um, there's a new kind of initiative that... Uh, the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada is running called In Impact School of Missions. There's a card at the back you can get. And basically, you come to Europe for, um, for a month, and you get to hang out with us. So that's pretty fun, right? And then you get to, uh, in that month, you're going to go through some different training for four weeks. And then you get, um, you get to go somewhere else in Europe. So it's not just one place. You get to go somewhere else in Europe. And you get to intern and work with some of our missionaries. And there's a whole host of things that people are doing from church planting to international church work to human trafficking work to um, whatever. And if you don't like Europe, we've got Latin America and Southeast Asia as well. So I invite you to take one of these cards back with you, find out more information. So um, like Chad said, we are now in Bratislava, Slovakia, right in the middle of Europe pastoring an international church, so international English-speaking church, so people from all over the world who've moved into our country, our city, who um, speak English, don't speak Slovak, very difficult language, and uh, love Jesus or are interested in understanding more about spirituality, they, they come and they connect with us, and we, we help pastor that community, as well as a number of other things we do, um, like Chad was saying, some human trafficking work that we're involved in, caring for other missionaries in our region, um, and a number of other things. You can get that. That's fine. <laughs> Gives me a chance to take a drink of water. Um, anyways, uh, Chad said you guys are doing a series here called Rising Strong, which I was really excited about, but also a little uh, frustrated with because as a missionary, when you're traveling around, you have like one sermon that you've worked on for months and you preach at every church because you go to different churches and people haven't heard it before. And so I have the one sermon and then Chad said, we're doing this. And I'm like, oh, I got to write another sermon. But that's good because it, it, forces me to, um, it forces me to go into the word and to really look at what you guys are doing and hopefully connect with what's already happening here at, at the house. So Rising strong, um, what do we do when life kicks the stuffing out of you? Stuffing wasn't the original word I was given, but that's the word I'm using. Um, if you have your Bible on your phone, laptop, you know, tablet, however you get the word of God these days, uh, John 21 is kind of where we're going to look at. But 
Um, has this ever happened to you? You, you step on a scale after a, a two-week vacation and the number is a little higher than you thought it would be? I find whenever I come to Canada, my clothes seem to shrink. I don't know why. Um, you know, how, how about this? You, you encounter some unexpected financial challenges like a, a big-time car repair or, or an investment fails. Or you find out that a, a close family member has um, an incurable disease like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. Or you, you find yourself going through a midlife or maybe your second midlife crisis. Um, you know, you get a call from the teacher that your kid decided that it was no longer fun to cut out the craft it, that she was given at school and decided to cut her own hair. Um, or you become unsure about your career choice and your effectiveness at your workplace and, you know, am I going to be doing this for the rest of my life? Or you start to wonder if you are really loved and accepted by others and, and by God. Um, you know, I could go on with these, these what-ifs, but all of us know what it means to have life kick the stuffing out of you, right? Unfortunately, it's part of living in our broken world. And if these things haven't happened to you yet, just wait, okay? That's the promise I'm going to make from today. From today, sorry. I'm going through puberty again. Um, you, it probably will at some point. And we know that life can kick us in many ways, from receiving bad news to experiencing unexpected tragedies, living through failures, the breaking up of relationships, and on and on and on and on and on it goes, right? And I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. Um, missionaries, pastors, and ministers were not exempt from these things, okay? We don't have a get-out-of-jail-free you know, um, card. Uh, it, this isn't a matter of God playing favorites or spirituality levels or anything like that. It's a human condition. In fact, most of those things I mentioned to you at the very beginning are stuff that is happening to me right now. And in the last 15 years of of being a missionary and of us being missionaries, we've encountered defeat. We've experienced pain, loss, tragedy, failure, all the kicks and punches that most of you in this room have probably experienced. We just get to feel them over in Europe. So the question is not if these things will happen to you, but what will we do about them when they do happen? And some of the normal responses to life when it kicks you uh, to the ground is to get outraged. You know, oh, i got to spend 10 minutes in line at Costco. What is going on? You know, like outrage. Um, Over-medicate, or in other words, Netflix, right? How many of you are bingers? Come on, secret hand. Nobody? Just me? Okay, thank you. I see that hand. Um, to live in denial or to, to descend into hopelessness. You know, we get angry, we, we run away, we hide, or we give up. And all of these are fairly normal, okay? So we're, we can just normalize that here right now. These are all fairly normal. And at the time, they can seem totally appropriate responses, especially, you know, if we've just been given that just roundhouse kick right to the face. And I want to suggest to you today that there are some better things that we can do to respond when life kicks the stuffing out of you. Especially if we want to rise strong, like the name of, of the series. We can, we can either run, hide, or remain on the ground, or we can get up, go forward in life, believing that we will be victorious, 
even when we are the ones who kick ourselves in the face. Because often we are the ones who deliver that kick to ourselves, don't we? It's not just external stuff. It's some of our own stuff. So let's look at the passage in John that I mentioned that shows us how one man was able to rise strong even after he received some serious kicks to the head from life. Some of them were self-inflicted. And I want to weave a little bit of our story into that. So John 21, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 5, and then we're going to skip to verses 15 to 19. So, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And the story continues, but we'll, we'll jump to verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Peter, or he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Thank you, Lord, for your word and what you want to speak to us through it today. Amen. So just a quick Quick recap, some context here at the beginning of this passage. You know, we find this guy, Peter, going back to his old life. Peter was a fisherman, and now he is a failure and a fugitive. He'd had an, an amazing transforming experience with this man named Jesus, and almost three years earlier, he'd been taken out of his dead-end job and, and had Jesus speak life and truth to him. He'd experienced miracles and, and actions that declared that the kingdom of God was, was real and that Jesus was the Son of God. He'd been at the forefront of a revolution that was going to overthrow the old order of things, and yet he'd lost it all by denying the very man who had changed his life. He'd been rash in his actions and words, and now even though Jesus was risen from the dead, he found himself on the outside of the inner circle and on the run from the Romans and the Jews. So when Peter says, I'm going to fish, it may have been his way of saying, well, we had a nice run, you know? It was, it was good while it lasted, but I blew it. I'm a, I'm a fisherman. I'm always going to be a fisherman. Why did I think things could be any different? And yet, in this passage, we, we see a powerful encounter between Jesus and Peter, whereby Peter's able to rise strong through the grace and love of Jesus. And as we reflect on these verses, we can see so many different beautiful things about how to overcome life's difficulties, but three things kind of stuck out to me because I'm a pastor and you can only work in threes. Um, 
I'm a pastor from the 80s maybe, and I can only work in threes, but, um, but and I, that I want to leave with you today, and there's so many more things you can find here, okay? These are not the definitive three, but these were the things that were meaningful for me as I walked through some of my own challenges in life, and hopefully they'll be helpful for you as you walk through some of your challenges. And so in order to rise strong, I believe we need to choose your voice, be rooted in love, and embrace the new reality. So first thing, choose your, choose your voice. I, I think it's interesting how this chapter starts with Peter declaring he is going fishing and everyone else follows along. I mean, they were called out of their old lives of being fishermen to being disciples. Uh, they even saw the risen Jesus and received his commission a chapter earlier. But Peter's voice is the loudest in this situation, in this moment. It's the voice of regret, of failure and, and defeat. It's, it's a wounded voice of a, of a man who is returning back to his old life and it has an impact on all the other people around him. And have you ever noticed that in the midst of tragedy, failure, and disappointed, it's the loudest voice that it's the most influential? You know, what, what do I mean by that? Well, consider what happens when you fail at something or get rejected by someone or receive bad news. Most of the times we'll hear things like, see, I knew I couldn't do it. Or, I'm not worthy of love. Or, why is my life such a mess? And these, are, these voices are sometimes external voices to us, but often they're internal. They come out of our own pain, our own hurt, our own upbringing. And they shape how we see the world and, and the actions we take. There are also voices around us, and the louder the voice, the more likely we are to be convinced of its, of its truth. And I've heard these voices on the mission field. You hear voices as a missionary. And like no one cares about what happens in Europe. We're, we're not the sexy or trendy continent like what's happening, you know, in, in Africa, Asia, wars and famines and stuff. People care about that. But Europe, you know, stable de democratic society, it's not a mission field. You know, we don't have big relief projects or evangelistic crusades happening. And the more you listen to that, this, the more that voice can lead you to despair, anxiety, and, and giving up. I mean, these are normal things that missionaries feel. Or here's another voice. Another potential financial supporter just said no to us. See, you must not be really called to missions because you can't raise the money to do it. And this voice can lead to questioning of calling and, and fear. The loud voices around us can cause us to stay on the ground and to live defeated lies. But here's the thing. We have to choose to listen to the voice of Christ in those moments. It's the voice we see in, in verse 5 calling us friends. It's the voice in verse 6 that challenges us to do something different. But more importantly, it's the voice of verses 15 to 19, a personal and intimate voice speaking right to our situation like Jesus spoke to Peter, calling him forward out of his darkness and defeat. See, the voices around us will almost always drive us back into shame, darkness, defeat. It's the voice that said to Peterman, see, you're just a fisherman. You're just a fisherman, Peter. But the voice of Christ will always call us out of that darkness. He'll always call us up, always call us forward into new life. It's the voice of God in the garden calling out to Adam, Adam, where are you? It wasn't a voice of judgment. It was a voice of saying, Adam, you're lost. Where are you? Come out. 
It's the voice of the, the two spies saying to the community of Israel, come on, we can take the land that God promised us. Even though there's giants, God has made a promise. Let's go forward. It's the voice of Jesus saying to Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Right? And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when you are facing the very gates of hell coming against you, what voice will you choose to listen to? The voice that pushes you back into the darkness and into shame or the voice that calls you into the light? Second thing we see is we need to be rooted in love. So Jesus and Peter start to have this really personal and intimate conversation. John, you know, he's kind of eavesdropping and writing notes. He's like, I'm going to write a book one day, and this is going to be really good. I've got some stuff on Peter. You know, John's there just kind of eavesdropping. And in this conversation, Jesus, what does he do? He asks Peter three times the same question, right? Do you love me? Do you love me? Love me. And scholars, people much smarter than me, have debated the significance of this. You know, why did Jesus use agape one time and, you know, philos another time, two different words for love? Who was Jesus referring to when he said, do you love me more than these? Is it the fish? Is it the disciples? Is it everybody? You know, whatever. But almost all of them agree upon the fact that Jesus asked Peter three times this same question in order to undo the denial of Peter towards Christ that happened three times. Three times earlier, Jesus, uh, Peter had denied Jesus. And so this is Jesus' way of undoing that. And this was, this was Peter's ultimate failure, you know, denying his very rabbi and Lord, especially when Jesus needed him the most. But the power in this moment is that Jesus doesn't undo the denial by asking Peter, hey, Peter, do you know me? Do you know who I am? I'm the risen Lord. Do you know me, Peter? Or, or making him stand up in front of everyone and shaming him and saying, Peter, you need to acknowledge me three times in front of these people. And then we're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to do that again. And you're going to acknowledge me. And Jesus doesn't do that. He just says, do you love me? And there's almost a surgical cutting and cleansing going on here that, that later on it says Peter gets hurt by this. He says, Lord, you know I love you. It's painful for Peter, but it's necessary pain. Because removing of the failure and denial through the sharp reminder of love is what Peter needs in that moment. Jesus is reminding him that discipleship is centered in grace and love and not simply our love towards him, but his love towards us. See, Peter, in the midst of getting knocked down, may have, be, may have begun to believe that he was no longer capable of being loved by Jesus or even of loving him in return, but Jesus reminds us that grace and love never run out. Right? Grace and love never run out. But, you know, you might say to me, but, yeah, but what about, no, grace and love never run out. Okay, but, but you don't know what I did? No, grace and love never run out. Fine, but I don't even know if I believe anymore, and no, you're not getting it. Grace and love never, ever, ever run out. You're always loved. You're always accepted. And in fact, we cannot rise strong, move forward, and get on with our lives unless we are rooted and recalibrated and restored in grace and love. You know, and that recognition is so 
difficult and painful for us as humans because we want it to be much more difficult. We want there to be forms to fill out and actions to do and and ways to show that we are worthy once again to be loved and accepted by Christ, but no, grace and love never run out. And I've had to wrestle with this question during my own midlife crisis. I'm almost 40, so I'm expecting to live to about 80, and I'm going through that right now. But, you know, what if I stop being a missionary? Does God still love me? What if I'm not doing enough for for Jesus? Will I still be accepted? No, grace and love for me never run out. They never run out. And some of you need to be reminded of that today, right now, that grace and love never run out. No matter how many times you get kicked to the ground, no matter how many times you kick yourself to the ground, grace and love never, ever run out. And finally, the last thing we need to do in order to rise strong is embrace our new reality. And I find this absolutely fascinating that Jesus almost starts over with Peter in this story. Remember, Peter's initial calling was to be a fisher of men, right? You're a fisherman, going to be a fisher of men. Very clever. I loved how Jesus did that. Now Jesus gives him a new reality. He says, you're going to be a shepherd of men, right? Because he says, Peter, feed my sheep. He, he gives P- Peter a new reality from being a, she- being a fisherman to being a shepherd. And Jesus takes Peter at his lowest possible moment. And after walking him through his darkness, failure, and fear, he says, Peter, I made you a promise that I would build my church upon you. We're not done yet, Peter, but it's going to look a little different. It's going to look a little different. I want you to be a shepherd. Feed my sheep. And once again, this totally changes Peter, and we see him embracing this new reality. You know, he still fishes for men in the book of Acts, but we also see him becoming a leader of, of the church, caring for others. And later in his life, when he writes his own book, you know, John's not the only one who gets to write a book. He writes his, his own book, the, you know, First Peter. We see this shepherd language throughout all of his writings. Something Jesus said finally got into him, and he realized, I am a shepherd. He was given a new reality. Because things don't go back to normal for Peter after he failed. And, you know, things don't always go back to normal for us once we've had the stuffing kicked out of us. You know, our past mistakes do affect our present, and, and our future. I'm, I'm not one of those ones that thinks, you know, just come to Jesus and he makes everything perfect once again. No, you know what? There's consequences to what happens to us in life. Our, our past mistakes affect our present and our future. Our actions will alter things, and our choices have consequences that we have to live with. The, the kick of life can either knock the wind out of us, or it can be so severe it can permanently wound us in different ways. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean we can't get up. And we can't keep going forward. Instead, we, we embrace the new reality and we realize that God redeems those moments for his glory. We don't go back to normal, but we get a new normal. And I first encountered this expression from parents of one of my best friends who, who died in a car accident. He was 17 years old, died in a car accident. And, you know, they went through all the pain and, and the trauma and, and the grief and the questions. And, and uh, you know, about six or seven years ago, Anna and I sat down with them and we were just talking about that experience again. And they said, one day, you know, we had to go through all this healing and all this, and all this pain. And, you know, we didn't have a son anymore. He was their only son. And he said, but one day we woke up and we just realized this is our new normal. And they said, from that moment on, we were able to go forward. And we still remember and we still love our child. But you know what? Our new normal is that we don't have a child. 
but we're still going forward. We're still moving forward. And often, in this new normal we give, we're given, we live with scars. And that sometimes can confuse or discourage us as believers in Jesus. So we either have emotional, mental, or even physical reminders of the damage done to us by life. And we wonder, do I have to live with this reminder for the rest of my life? I mean, if Jesus can heal and if he makes me into a new creation, then why do I still carry scars? Why do I, I still carry the reminders of my past pain, failure, and tragedies. So what do we do with that? How, how, how are scars part of rising strong? And this is, this is the thing I find so fascinating. And I, I absolutely love this. And it's so powerful about the resurrection of Jesus. You know, when Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated the very worst things that life can throw at a person, right? Denial by your best friends, evil, sin, and injustice, humiliation, violent death, you know, he conquered the grave itself. So all the very worst things that could happen to you in one day happened to Jesus, and he overcame them. And in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate that glorious resurrection moment and the hope that is ours in Christ. And it's all super exciting and victorious. And when we look to Jesus as the all-powerful, mighty Son of God, and when we see the risen Lord, what do we notice? He still has scars on his hands, on his feet, on his side. You read the book of John, and it's the way the disciples recognize and know that he is who he says he is. is he still has the scars. For some reason, and I don't understand it, Jesus has chosen to spend eternity with scars as a reminder of, of all the pain that he went through for you and for me. And when we rise strong, our scars are not, are not a reminder of the trauma, failure, pain, and disaster we have to live through. But they can be and should be a witness to the world that we are still here. You know, you have overcome the very worst of life. And you're still alive. Scars don't show us what we've lost, but what we've overcome. You know? And I'm sure if we had a, a scar-sharing story right now, we, could, we, would, we would take hours, and I'd miss my flight to Calgary, which might not be a bad thing. But, um, you know, like, you see the scar. This is where cancer tried to beat me, but I didn't give in. I'm still here. You know? The scar on my heart that I carry, it's from where I was told I was not worthy of being loved, and yet I'm still able to love others and receive love from them. You know, yes, I, I've been kicked, I've been bruised and scarred by this life, but you know what? I'm not a victim. I'm not going to harden my heart. I'm not going to keep my spirit closed. I'm able to rise up and bear my scars as evidence that Christ's resurrection power is alive and at work within me. And in order to rise up and rise strong, we need to become people of the scar. We carry our healed wounds that remind us that we are still alive, that evil did not win, and that we are able to love and to enter into gracious relationship with the world around us. Scars declare that healing is possible. And what, we sh what should be a, a source of shame and ugliness really becomes a badge of honor that, and beauty because we get to look 
and live like Jesus who still carries his scars to this day. And the worship band, that's the signal that we worked on, right? You guys can come up. And I don't know, and I don't know, listen, I don't know how long we will carry our scars because, you know, at the end of Revelation, Jesus declares that he is making all things new, right? But until, that, until we experience that, that mystery, we have to choose to embrace and live in the new reality God has for us, scars and all. Don't hide your scars, but make them stories of the resurrection power that, you know what, through Christ, you may look a little different, your life might be affected, things might not go back to normal, but you're able to rise strong and you're able to look like Jesus, and you're able to, to go forward. And this is the reason why you want to rise strong. Not just so you can get on and get on, you know, get up and get on with your life. You know, we don't just rise strong from tragedy, trauma, and failure just so that we can continue on and just live normal. But because each one of us, each one of us are part of God's reconciling work in the world. And this is, this is the heart of mission, that God is reconciling all things back to himself. He's, he's not just forgiving, but he's, he's bringing people back into relationship. All things, the Bible says, are being reconciled back to God. And he did that through the cross and blood of Jesus, through the scar making of Jesus. And he does that through our own scars that we bear, bringing all things back to himself including you and me as we rise up. He brings us back to himself. And reconciliation is the work of people who are listening to the voice of Jesus, who are rooted in love and living in the new reality, scars and all, and sometimes that may be the, the greatest witness to Kelowna and to the world around us. That life did not defeat us. And that through the power of Christ we are people on a mission of reconciliation bearing the, the scars of life but more importantly the healing work of Christ in us so I want to just close this time in prayer and I'll hand it back to Chad and you know I'm not going to do any sort of response except to ask you, if you've got scars right now that maybe you've wondered what, what's going on with them and why, why haven't they disappeared yet, as I pray, maybe make that a moment when you can be mindful of maybe what Christ wants to do with your scars, how he wants to use that to be part of the story of reconciliation in Kelowna and around the world. And just make that a moment when you can, hopefully you can say to Jesus, Jesus, Here's my scars. How, how do you want to use them? So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this moment I've been able to share just with the house, this community of faith. Um, these people who desire to rise strong in you no matter what life does to them, no matter what evil comes against them, no matter what failure they experience, Lord, I pray that they would be a community that rises strong on all occasions, and not triumphantly in, in a way that we're going to take over the world, but in humility, in witness to the, the risen Lord. And Lord, those who might 
just be questioning what, what, what do these scars mean? Why do I still have them, Lord? I pray that you would redeem that. Redeem their story. Redeem the pain and the trauma they've gone through. Don't just bring healing to them, Lord, but bring a new sense of their work of reconciliation that you've called them to. Thank you, Lord, that you have risen from the dead and that life is ours. In Jesus' name.